2: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
3: Welcome to Best Friends Back All Right, the show where two high school best friends try the best friend thing again. I'm Naikin Homayfar. And I'm Stevie Wynn Levine. And this week, we are talking about. The body's glove, Ew, right? the, skin, the skin, the skin, <laughs> the skin, the body's here, glove. Yeah, oh my God. God-given glove. Oh, now we're bringing and here God to talk into to it. To us about this in a very educated way <laughs> is one of my dearest friends. Dr. Jenna Lester, who I also call Dr. Lester in all of our social interactions. Whoa. Hey, Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
2: what's up? Thanks for having me. Welcome to the
1: show. I'm really excited to discuss the body's glove with you today.
3: Can I brag a little bit about Jenna? Yeah, please. Just so like, just so you guys know that you really should be listening. She's a total expert. So a little bit about Jenna's background. She is uh, a graduate of Harvard. That's where we met. And she also went to the Warren Alpert Medical School at Brown University, and she completed her dermatology residency at UCSF, where she now lives and works as a faculty member and is the founding director of the Skin (laughs) of Color program. That's my girl. I'm very proud of you for that. You're in your, like, early 30s, and you've founded a program, a Skin of Color program, which doesn't exist in many
2: places, right, Jenna? Not in many, but there are a few. Um, there are a few. Uh, the first, the first one that I know of was at was founded by. I don't. Susan I don't Taylor. actually
3: want to know about the first oh. one. Not yet. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> this, this is going well. What? <laughs> All right. I just need a few, few more little bits that I just am obsessed about with you before we before we get into the the, the deep deep stuff. But with the Skin of Color program, her ground her groundbreaking work there. I'm really botching this introduction. I'm sorry.
2: No, you're not. I'm like okay. really Jenna's, about myself.
3: Jenna's <laughs> groundbreaking, earth-shattering work at the Skin of Color program has been discussed nationally in the New York Times, NPR, mm, mm-hmm. Best Friends Back All, right? <laughs> yeah. And she was named a TED Fellow in 2021. Damn. What? <laughs> Damn. You can actually say things like "Welcome to my TED Talk," and that's like a real thing. um. Actually, I didn't want to hear about <laughs> the uh, TED
1: Talk yet. Uh, if we could save the TED Talk part <laughs> later, that would be
3: For great. Life. Thanks. Judd is <laughs> one of the smartest people I know, and I love and trust her so much that I even let her practice injecting me with Botox during her residency.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs)
3: How'd it go? Do you see my forehead moving?
1: Well, I,
3: I, that was a long
1: time ago. So I don't know what the result was. It was great.
3: It was great. Very natural. People didn't notice anything crazy. So that was, I got what I wanted. Did you get what you wanted, Jenna?
2: Practice. And I didn't like make any of the, you know, errors that we fear with Botox. Like, accidentally injecting it into someone's lid and then their lid hangs low for like three months. <laughs> <laughs> I have no low-hanging lids. Low, does it wallow through?
1: Um, that's great. That's great news. Yeah. You know, I wanted to kick off with something that... I, I, I've posed a theory about, uh, well, about body gloves um, in the past 24 hours in preparation <laughs> for this record that I wanted to just throw out there. And I'm sure, okay. like, scientifically and medically... It's it's pretty sound, mm-hmm. but as I get older, one of the things that I find very difficult to do is put on body lotion, just like after a shower, you put on body lotion, mm-hmm. and I think it is a straight girl thing. I think putting <laughs> on body lotion is
3: what straight women like to do. is it like your bones hurt like it's hard to bend down to put it on it's my
1: gay gay
3: bones (laughs) that are
1: preventing me from putting on body lotion so
2: wait like if the actual task is challenging or it's like hard to remember to do it
1: um all of the above so basically what I'm asking you is is twofold I mean I know you should put body lotion on your body especially as you get older your skin might get drier you might get Mm -hmm. you might get uh crackly but, you know, my theory is that straight women are are doing this body lotion application more than gay women. Fact?
2: Um, I would have to <laughs> see the data on that. I've never, I haven't seen any studies that have looked at this specifically, so uh-huh. I can't make that comment. Um, that, was um, that was just a test.
1: That was just a test.
2: I don't think... Anything different about your bones as compared to someone else with your same life experiences ah. and like, same age, etc. But some people find it challenging to put moisturizer on. I think several things you said are correct. Thank wow! You.
3: Now who's complimenting who?
2: <laughs> it, over the years, your skin loses its ability to hold on to water, and that um, is something you have to compensate for by moisturizing. Sometimes people use heavy creams to moisturize and those are like more viscous or more thick. So they are like harder to spread around. So if that's something Mm -hmm. you were doing, I would say maybe try a lotion instead but um mm-hmm. your the answer to your original question is we would have to study that yeah
3: well
1: and mm-hmm. i and i'm i'm gonna i think i'm gonna order one of those studies right up because i do think that people want to know do gay women put on lotion yeah. as much as straight women but uh, <laughs> yeah
3: Lo- lots of people do ask that question but no, I, i've d- seen it
1: <laughs> yeah we we got some questions from uh, our friends our listeners today to, to yeah. run by you but like I do think generally, I I would assume a lot of them are kind of in that self-care type of category, what you Mm -hmm. should be doing for yourself and your body glove on a daily basis. And before we get into those questions, I did want to ask if there's one thing that you would recommend that everyone does for their skin on a daily basis, what would that one thing be? if you can't bring yourself to do more than one thing, which some of us can't.
2: I would say (laughs) sunscreen. And I would say that for several reasons. So regardless of skin tone, sunscreen plays a role. If your skin is lighter, it helps prevent skin cancer. In addition, it helps prevent wrinkles and helps prevent sunspots. All of these things that like when you're in your teens and early 20s, you're likely not thinking about because... The, the chances are that you're manifesting these things that you see these things on your skin at that point are a little bit lower. So, but it's really helpful in preventing those and any other visible signs of aging because a lot of those come from the sun. And as your skin gets darker, your skin go- tone gets darker. It doesn't help prevent against skin cancer because um, in people with darker skin tones we think skin cancers are often not caused by UV uh, radiation or the light that no. comes from the sun that's so damaging. Not This isn't 100% true, but the data suggests that that is at least <laughs> partially true. What are you laughing at?
0: What do you mean it's
3: not 100% true? <laughs> like this is kind of fake information?
2: <laughs> no, it's not 100% true in everyone. Like, in everyone. No to- okay. There's I no see. way you can make an absolute <laughs> statement for, like, an entire population of people. Fair. We respond to, like, data and statistics and studies, which make which make sort of likelihood statements, but okay. not, like, absolute, this is definitely not going to happen mm-hmm. to you or definitely yeah. is going to happen to you.
3: Those sunspots, that's the sun damage, right, that you called out on my face. That's
2: sun damage. They're not cute freckles. Yeah.
3: I thought they were freckles. And the funny thing, I did I developed these later in life, but I remember when I was eight or nine years old, my family was visiting our family in Iran. And I was sharing pictures of my classroom or my like elementary school friends with my cousins. Mm-hmm. And I remember them like pointing at one of the blonde girls and being like, "Why is her face so dirty?" And she had freckles. <laughs> so cool. And it was just not something that they had ever seen before. And that was wild to me then. And I mean, of course, I looked around. And I was like, oh, yeah, nobody here has freckles. Everyone has like gorgeous olive skin. <laughs> and you were like, I want some of those. Yeah, but it turns <laughs> out you can – is it like climate dependent that somebody in hmm. one country who doesn't get freckles can get them if they move to another place? Like why <laughs> – Why do I have sun damage?
2: (laughs) I guess it's not climate dependent in the sense of like temperature, like sun exposure causes lentigenes, which is the plural version of the word lentigo, which is a sunspot, which can look very similar to freckles um, on the face.
3: And freckles are something that you are born
2: with? Likely born with, yeah. Mm -hmm, Oh my God, there are babies with freckles? Usually not babies, oh. but usually around like like toddler years, you start to see them. They develop. develop them. Yeah, hmm.
1: fascinating. Yeah. One more question about the sunscreen. So in terms of like, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm trying to like get information out of this podcast for myself, is what I'm saying.
3: One hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> in terms <It's> <laughs> of uh, like SPV
1: you know is there any yeah is there any rhyme or reason to like spf spv is that what (laughs) hpv law and order can we switch over to sp what what is the um like recommended level
2: um at least spf 30 uh because after at lower than spf 30 so like some moisturizers have like 15 Mm -hmm. or makeup has 15 in it You get a drop off in the amount of protection that you get. And as it is, that number is generated in a lab in perfect settings where the perfectly right amount is used. And most people don't use enough sunscreen to achieve that SPF level. So if you're going for at least a 30, then the sort of diminishing um, effect you would have from not putting enough of it on is a little bit less than if you're starting at a fifteen. Got it. Um, But higher actually is better. There are some studies that show that higher SPF sunscreen helps prevent burns better, which burns are risk factors for skin cancer and these like sunspots we're talking about. So I would say if you could go up higher than that you should and there are lots of great moisturizers that have high SPF levels in them so i think it's doable with mm-hmm. pretty much n- a negligible cosmetic difference
1: but there's not like a high S- SPF uh offering that you're like it's not doing anything after a certain number like okay 60 is like the max and if you go above 60 then it's basically like doing the same thing
2: yeah i think there some people do think there's a cutoff number and i usually don't i don't have like a specific one in mind just because of these more recent studies that show higher spf prevent prevent Mm -hmm. burns but it probably like levels off after a little bit though the higher still seems to be better So I don't know if like there's a huge difference between like a 70 and a 100, but I think if you can go a little bit higher, you probably should, especially if you have fairer skin.
1: Okay. Now what about SPVs? Mm -hmm. Um,
2: (laughs) i'm not sure i think those should be included in your other study you should start a lab where you just have these. in your other you're running clinical studies asking interesting questions hard
3: charging questions yeah Yeah. i i
2: I wanted to
1: google what spv is and it's absolutely nothing it's it's special purpose vehicle by the way it's it's, okay uh, so we'll talk about that next episode
3: (laughs) Jenna, you you think you've wanted you wanted to be a doctor like since you were very young, right?
2: There was a brief moment where I wanted to be a Supreme Court judge.
3: What? Yeah, we would actually love for you mm-hmm. to see yeah! that.
2: <laughs> yeah, can you switch book, tracks? I wrote a book on it in fifth grade about a, a black judge. <gasps>
1: wow, I wrote a book wow. in the fifth grade about a Dorito living inside of my stomach
3: so i think we were on the same page both destined for great things yeah so then so then how why dermatology how did you switch tracks so dramatically
2: well i originally wanted to be an OBGYN. and mm. we had that in common didn't you also wow. want to be an OBGYN at some
3: point i did <laughs>
2: <laughs> nah, um anyways um so I was interested in, like, um, healthcare access and care for, like, you know, people who become pregnant and children early on in life. Because I thought that that was, like, a place where you could impact, make a big impact. And I started thinking outside of that paradigm um, on my med school interviews. And I was really resistant to any other suggestion um, Mm -hmm. early on. But then my dad was like, you know, my dermatologist seems to really like her job. I really like my dermatologist. You should consider this. And this was like, he's like, I'm I'm thinking about
3: leaving my dermatologist (laughs) I need a new one.
2: (laughs) Well, he keeps saying my dermatologist has a job for you. Did she call you? I'm like, no, I'm not moving back. But (laughs) he, he made this suggestion. I was like home on a break and I had like a snooty answer. Like, I'm never going to do that. Like, how could I just treat acne and do Botox for the rest of my life? And here you are. <laughs> uh, and, but I, I think what I realized is my um, desire to care for all people, to increase access to care for all people, was something that could be addressed from many angles, not just from primary care, which is kind of how I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was particularly focused on patients who are underserved or ha- low resource or, you know, most impacted by policies that were um, not fair. So I wanted to think of how I could help them. And it turns out all people need specialty care and dermatology is a lot of acne, which is important to treat because it's a so has so many like um psychosocial comorbidities. So mm-hmm. other other ways that it impacts someone's life besides just what's going on on their skin. So I don't make light of that. But that's literally how I thought when I was in med school. So
3: yeah, and it's actually one of the questions that our listeners sent in. So Mary Cullen, she's 17. um, She asked, do you thoroughly enjoy stuff like pimple popping now because of doing this stuff? So what's your answer to Miss Mary Cole? <laughs> I,
2: I like that question. And I think think it comes from this, um, you know, there's that TV show that everyone now, oh. there's a dermatologist that like explodes cysts and stuff. Oh, which... Dr.
1: Pimple Popper. We've had her on Good Mythical Morning. Really? We, yeah, we have. <laughs> oh, really? You will not believe, we did two segments with her. One involved watching videos of, of different cysts, oh, etc. which no. I could not do. The other was a game <laughs> that involved... We had a um, special effects makeup artist do pimples on Rhett and Link's faces, but fill mm-hmm. them with edible things. Oh! And so no. it was a game that involved popping and eating the pimples, and it was like wow. wasabi and like all kinds of gross shit.
3: I'm curious now, Jenna. If you pop a pimple, do you know? what the flavor of the thing that comes out oh is? Is it like salty? God. I would think it's salty. Oh,
2: um, Right? Uh, I've never tasted it Ew. So. Why do you
1: ask, <laughs> you ask your sister if she smells vaginas and you ask Jenna if she tastes pimples and then you try and disguise people, it?
3: A.K.A. me <laughs> want to know. Well,
1: sometimes
2: <sighs> you accident, like even pre-COVID, now we wear what? masks Don't. in clinic, but like, before then, if you were doing a procedure, you would put a mask on to prevent yeah. a splash, which okay. sometimes happens and if things <laughs> yeah. splash, I've never I still have never tasted it. But. Okay.
3: Well, some you have you have something to look forward to. Yeah. I will let you know.
2: Or this is this could be another experiment for the lab.
3: <laughs> there you go.
2: There you God. go.
3: All right. There's a question in here from someone identifying as a female, and she says she's Hispanic, Latino, and white. So we asked people's uh, ethnicities or race because that can sometimes provide helpful context for skincare questions. So the question was, is it normal to get large, under-the-skin, cyst-like pimples on your inner thighs? How do you make them go away?
2: So um, that's a great question, and um, this is something I see a lot. And while I can't provide medical advice in this context without actually examining someone and getting their full history and hearing, like, how often this sort of thing happened, what it actually reminds me of is there's a condition called hydratinitis suppurativa, which is a really long word that I actually—the one Dr. Pimple Popper episode that I've seen— she was popping cysts and removing fatty tumors, but also saw um, a person who had this condition. And this condition, um, you, d- you can get these big sort of like pimples or cysts or boils. A lot of people call them different things in the groin area, sometimes under the arms. And it's, cons- it's something that sometimes can run in families, but because people mm-hmm. feel so embarrassed by them and don't talk about them, It's something that, you know, you don't know your sister or your aunt or your mom had it. Um, Mm. And so I would encourage this person to see um, their primary care doctor or dermatologist if they can, because if that's something they have, there's lots of treatments for it. And it's different. It's truly different from acne. Sometimes people also have acne, but the treatments that you would do are much different.
3: That makes me think of this question I've had, which is when do you see a dermatologist versus mm-hmm. an esthetician or like you said mm-hmm. a primary care doctor like all things face or skin care don't mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. require a dermatologist mm-hmm. right
2: yeah that's true um different estheticians and different dermatologists have different areas of comfort there certainly are like licensing things by state that differ in terms of what an esthetician can do in ter- uh, like procedurally But I think there are some dermatologists who really are um, focused on skincare and know a lot about products and consider that part of their expertise. The main thing is, um, you know, prescribing of medications is something that a physician or someone of uh, the same sort of like level advanced practice practitioner, like nurse practitioner or something like that would do. But I would say in general... If you're concerned about skin cancer and worried about like moles or something like that, that's definitely something to go to a dermatologist to. You also can ask questions about products, et cetera, and whether or not you get the answers you're looking for, I think depends on the comfort level of that particular dermatologist. Estheticians do great work like facials and um, are sort of more hands-on about that sort of thing, like product questions, so. I feel like
3: these days, like skincare regimens have become like a hobby like like people it's having a moment moment. and does does that result in a lot of people coming to your practice with questions about or how
1: much of it is just like bullshit like how much do you like go on tiktok and like you're listening to people and then you're like that's so that's wrong
3: unnecessary
1: yeah Yeah. the one thing that like One, on TikTok, I'll run into just, like, very beautiful young women with nice skin going, this is what I do. And I'm like, I'm so Mm -hmm. tempted to do what you do. But then sometimes also it'll be, like, doctor so-and-so. And and they're like, I Mm -hmm. recommend XYZ. And you're like, okay, well, that's a completely different thing than the last TikTok that I saw. And it just seems like everyone has this, like, okay, well, I recommend exfoliating retinol and then this and this. And it just seems like, well, yeah, what is what is actually real and what's not? And mm-hmm. I guess partially I, I hearken back to what you said earlier, which is like everyone's not the same. So I would assume right. that, you know, a lot of things work for some people that don't work for others. But like, mm-hmm. I guess twofold. One, do you get pissed because you're like, this is bullshit and why are people following it? And then also like, what is the most basic level like, Facial skincare routine that you recommend?
2: Yeah, that's a really excellent question. And I think a lot of people are just so confused about this topic because there's so much out there that might be well intentioned, but it's just like confusing because of the sheer volume. And there actually was a study done looking at like YouTube content and around acne and a lot of it is like Hmm. incorrect we now have these platforms where people kind of have an equal voice to those who are have studied this and they can say whatever and then on top of it you add in like people are getting sponsorships and aren't always really clear about that so I think there is a lot of it that's not real I don't think you need a 12-step regimen anything that puts me puts an hour between me and my bedtime, oh, my, yeah. like my bed, like <laughs> crashing into my bed. <laughs> yeah. Once I realize I'm tired and should go to bed, it's just a no-go for me. So, um, but I also think all the things that are involved in those multi-step regimens are sometimes a little bit redundant. Mm. I think the perfect scaffolding to a good skincare plan, which of course you can like riff on in other ways and add and subtract from, is like a good gentle skin cleanser. you don't need something that strips your whole like natural oil away just like you know cleans your skin well, a good moisturizer, a good sunscreen, and then you can add a retinoid or retinol to that, which helps with skin cell turnover and helps prevent wrinkles long term mm. for people who get superficial fine wrinkles for photo eight from photo aging from the sun. Um, and those tend to be people with lighter skin. So, you know, people add toners on top of that or, like, serums of this or that type. And I try to remind my patients that your skin has, like, a microenvironment. Like, if we were to get on Magic School Bus. um, Hell yeah. (laughs) Throw it back in all the ways. I've had Backstreet Boys (laughs) stuck in my head all day today. But if we get on the Magic School Bus and are, like, driving around on the surface of the skin, you see common bacteria that are supposed to be there, yeast that are supposed to be there, even Mm. clutch your pearls, like mites and things that are supposed to be there. (laughs) And I think of like (laughs) the trunk of a tree with moss growing on it. Like, Mm. you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. So the more you use different things, the more you change that microenvironment and you, it actually can lead to inflammation and things Mm. like that. So I think that Simple is better. And there is such thing as acne cosmetica, which is acne that is resulting from using a ton of products. Mm. And one of the first things I do in that situation is get people to simplify. And even though they look at me like I have 12 heads, many <laughs> times they come back and things are better from doing less. And then you only have
1: wow. four heads. <laughs> uh, did you know <laughs> that Lily Tomlin was the voice of Miss Frizzle?
2: No really
1: right yes wow. and I ask you is she using body lotion as much as a straight woman would it's,
3: it's, it all comes back know. around guys
1: it all That's comes true. back
3: around do you remember the for me the original like multi-step acne routine was proactive yeah, yeah. do you remember those yeah. infomercials that they that they had when we were growing up they had like celebrities on there: Vanessa Williams, yeah, P. Diddy, Bieber. They everyone.
1: Had, um, they had like a, uh, uh, like One Tree Hill stars, I think. Like they had some like. Oh. They had show everyone, people.
3: yeah, and they look good. They look good.
2: I actually think proactive works. It works, you say. Well, it has the ingredient. It has the right ingredients that I would recommend for acne anyway. So I actually okay. do think it can be quite effective. Well,
3: for nineteen ninety five plus shipping and handling, it could be. Oh, yours.
2: I, thought you meant, I thought you meant the year. And I was
0: like, yeah, I mean, approximately nineteen ninety five. Selling a little or a lot. shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
3: this person is from our generation her name is sam she's 35 and she says I eat really healthily, take supplements, I'm active, I take care of my skin, and my skin still is constantly breaking out like I'm 14. Mm-hmm. Mm. I also have unexplained infertility. Could the breakouts mm. be hormone-related, or do some people just have bad skin?
2: They certainly could be. I think all acne is hormone-related. And the if I could get nerdy for a second, is that okay? Yes. Um, yeah. Testosterone, which is- And a whisper. Is-
3: just whisper it, though.
2: It's, it's ASMR Yeah. Um, <laughs> testosterone is a hormone that all people have um it's responsible for what we typically think of as like masculinization of different features or like hair growth in some er in certain areas of the body but also when it binds to the follicle um like that's kind of like the pore essentially it triggers oil to be secreted and oil secretion is one of the um things that causes acne. So, mm-hmm. but in essence, all acne is hormone related. I think what this person is asking is could there be like an imbalance in my hormones that are making this worse? And I think mm-hmm. certainly if you have unexplained fertility, especially within that context, something that I think about is um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is, you know, something that um, your sister could talk about a little bit in more depth okay. than I could. But it's it's one area where OBGYN and um, derm overlap and people tend to have a lot more acne um, you know hair growth like on the chin and on the neck area which is typical and people whose sex assigned at birth is female and then you also have cysts on your ovaries and so um, that could be a way to connect those two hmm. conditions so I would, say, I would um, urge that person to seek further workup um, I do think that there is a genetic basis to some of this too but Treatment of that condition can be helpful for the acne if okay. that is what's causing yeah. it. Yeah, hmm.
1: I did not know we were going to get into the single chin hair, uh, uh but let me tell you, I it's real, it is real. There's always yep. one single chin hair for all you young listeners out there at a certain point. Just keep those be tweezers always handy, yeah. yeah.
3: Always one, and it's always there's one, and I don't it's remove curly. these things immediately, right? It's like you kind of mm-hmm. You get, you find yourself just touching it and touching it. Yeah, like, because the texture is
2: different. It's really wiry. Yeah. yeah, right. All
3: right. Well, there's another pregnancy-related <laughs> question that's uh, this person Haley writes: Has pregnancy slash postpartum made my skin more sensitive?
2: I think that's certainly possible. So one thing, I mean, your skin is a, the largest immune organ in the body as well. So the immune system, which is responsible for fighting off like viruses, bacteria, a lot of the things that happen on the skin are inflammation, which is your immune system, like, you know, responding to something. And that can sometimes change a little bit with mm-hmm. different, you know, hormonal hormonal changes. So I think it's certainly possible. But what I often tell people is like, we don't always have neat and tidy explanations for things human bodies don't read the textbook. So if it's true for you that like after (laughs) your pregnancy, your skin was more sensitive than it was true, then it's true for you. And we should focus on like how to treat it. I think it makes sense that we're in search of answers, but sometimes we don't have like a neat way of explaining it. Just like we can't Mm. necessarily explain why you have that one chin hair.
1: You kind of, you like kind of (laughs) pointed at
2: me a little bit when you (laughs) you said that. And I, do you feel I'm noting
1: attacked?
3: that I'm noting
1: that yeah
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right this next question was really interesting for me this is a 35 another 30some year old female who's yeah! Asian sorry Asian Pacific Islander and she says uh, one treatment I see for strawberry legs which is something um. I had to look up but mm-hmm. these are legs that just think of what a strawberry looks like uh-huh. with like the seeds uh-huh. and it's like that. All over the, all over the. Um, the is legs. there like
1: a red part involved as well?
3: The seed part is like the dark part. I'll let Jenna explain it, but I'll finish. <laughs> I'll finish the, the question so she can Google? explain it. Should I Google strawberry legs? I think, I think legs? it's helpful to yeah. Once you see Eventually. it, you'll, re- you'll see it. Okay. You'll get it. All right, because that's what happened for me. So one treatment I see for strawberry legs is using a salicylic acid body wash, but I've used one for years and nothing has ever changed. Is there actually an effective way to get rid of strawberry legs, or is that just a beauty myth I should stop falling for?
2: The medical word for it is keratosis pilaris, which is okay. um is a genetic thing. Um, mm. So it's something that is like like certain people make, and and oftentimes it runs in families. But it has to start somewhere. So I mm-hmm. often will see people who are like, "Well, no one else in my family has this," and um, I'm like, "Maybe you're the first one." Yeah. So. So it's you, which no one ever wants to hear that in this particular yeah. context, but, um, but you want to exfoliate, which is what salicylic acid is, can, can do that. But it's something that unless you're constantly treating it, um, it doesn't go away. There are other ways to do that, like lactic acid containing lotions. I think lotions probably work a little bit better because with a body wash, you're just washing it away the medicine doesn't necessarily have enough time to be in contact with your skin to do what it's supposed to do. But Mm -hmm. the moral of the story is, um, you know, it's something that you constantly have to treat. One of my colleagues says the keratosis pilaris brigade is not coming. Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But it's like a way to just be... just let people know. But there are ways to, like... You doctors you know, are if, so cool. A, I don't say that. But um, if you have, like, a wedding coming up... Yeah. Yeah. I guess I just did say that in a larger context than I would ever have. Honestly, Um, you said
3: it to a larger audience than your colleague doctor ever has.
2: (laughs) It's just to say that it's a it's a not harmful thing. It doesn't mean it's not bothersome. But what I would suggest is like concentrating treatment around times when the when your legs are exposed or some people get it on their arms mm-hmm. when their arms are exposed. I've so seen like, on the,
3: like the back of the arms. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. yeah. If
2: like spring or summer is coming, like folk and you live in an area that gets warm, then like focus on treating then and then maybe taking like winters off so you're not worrying about it as much. I also like to talk about radical self-acceptance in these contexts too. Yes. I'm serious. Um, I'm really
3: curious about this because I want to know how much of your job is, is helping people build confidence. And just like you said, acceptance of whatever they have.
2: I talk a lot about um, self-acceptance and we talk a lot about um, chronic conditions in dermatology. And I think maybe my colleague who makes this joke is like trying to get a laugh and then we sort of delve farther into what does it mean to have a condition that we don't have a cure for. Um, and when you're dealing with people with skin conditions who are experiencing this so publicly, it's not an easy thing all the time. Like I have patients with hair loss that are coming to terms with this, but also dealing with public responses to their condition. So, mm. but there's a, there's a movement that I've seen online about people who don't want to treat their acne at all and just sort of like live in the skin that they have. And, um, and that's empowering to them. And I think, you know, with keratosis pilaris, we talk about, how to manage it, but that it's not going to go away. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, we deal with that a lot. And I, and I often, you know, I think all adults should have therapists, but that, mm-hmm. that is sort of where I feel like I'm out of my league a little bit, because I do think that there are therapists, um, licensed mental health professionals who deal with this specifically, um, like how to, live a life with a chronic medical condition and Mm -hmm. that can range in any, you know, area of severity. So, um, so I usually direct people on that.
1: I was going to ask when we had Dr. Naz on, we were kind of poking holes a little bit in, I guess the, the industry that she works in and like how it, you know, there's, it needs to evolve in a lot of ways and, Mm -hmm. Um I have the same question for you like there's obviously a lot of ways that I think in all medical fields we need to evolve in terms of you know the how patients are are dealt with or like what other you know lanes kind of overlap in the same way that you just mentioned um you know psychologically how that has so much to do with what you do I mean obviously a lot of what you do is trying to push the bounds of of your industry but can you talk a little bit about that? Like what what is lacking kind of on a widespread level and, and what
2: change are you pushing to see? Thank you for that question. I this is like what I think about. This is what I notice all day. Um and and this is kind of what um I noticed one day when in residency and that got me in this area of interest within dermatology to begin with. Um And that is like as a black woman sitting in lectures, I usually only saw my skin tone when we were talking about sexually transmitted infections. So I'm, and it's, and it's very stigmatizing. And I'm like, is this my imagination? It's something I had noticed since med school. And once delving into it more, it's something that other black dermatologists had brought up in the past. And we, I actually did an analysis of some of our common textbooks and literally counted photos and categorized what skin tones appearing with what disease processes and it's actually true that overall we, we almost never see dark skin and so it's hard to learn how to diagnose certain diseases that could appear different in different skin tones and sort of um, exude that confidence when you're in front of a patient um, and many der- 47% of dermatology residents in one survey, t- once they were graduating, did not feel comfortable caring for patients with, with dark skin, which is like a huge problem. That's a huge part, mm-hmm. part of your future patient population. But to, to notice also that certain skin tones were overrepresented when you're talking about sexually transmitted infections and how that stigmatizes people and how that mm-hmm. limits what conditions you're considering when someone comes in and you don't really know what they have. That was disturbing to me. And so I. Th- one of the first things that I did when I was on faculty was talking about changing our educational materials and how we need broader representation of all skin tones so that learners know what things look like in their skin right. tones. And I think what trickles down from there is that people searching on Google or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. search engine they use to say, like Googling you know, bumps on arms or strawberry legs, like see something that looks like themselves Mm because that is really important. And surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, I got a lot of pushback when I tried to publish that article and I ended up publishing it in a journal outside of the U.S. because I was told this is not a problem. This is something that is up to individuals to solve. Like, why are you talking about this? You should be careful trying to publish. I saved that. Email that mm-hmm. I got from someone. You should be careful trying to publish on these topics.
0: Wow. So I
2: got a lot of pushback. And whenever I get responses like that, I'm like, I'm onto something. Yeah. like Let mm-hmm. me push mm-hmm. push harder. Mm-hmm. Like whenever someone is like triggered, I'm like, you know, this means I'm onto this, something. So yeah. And you know, talking to my mentors, this is this is a a sort of a cyclical problem that had been brought up before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm Hoping now this time that we are developing some sustainable solutions. There have been curriculums developed that are that are focused on broad representation of skin tones. And this is an issue that is being discussed, I think, in a more sustained way than it had been in the past. So let's see mm-hmm. what happens. Um, I think that's one major thing that needs to change about Durham, though.
3: Yeah. What about getting, you know, getting people who have historically not had you know, uh, accurate experiences or helpful experiences Mm -hmm. when they've gone to a dermatologist, people with darker Mm -hmm. skin tones who have this history of, you know, it's not working. So how do you get people like that to come visit doctors like you who are newly trained to recognize skin conditions?
2: That's one of the main reasons why I think it's important to have a program called the Skin of Color Program. A lot of people also ask me, like, why are you starting that? Why do we need that? Why do we want care that's different from for, for, you know, black and brown people? And there actually is research to support that, um, you know, small study, but I think one that lays some convincing groundwork that certain patients who have been excluded from medical care like an explicit sign that they're being welcomed into this particular mm-hmm. into a particular space, right? Okay. There are affinity yeah. clinics of all types, you know, clinics for trans people, cl- mm-hmm. clinics for people who are HIV positive, clinic like this. This maybe not everywhere, but these are clinics we have all at, all at UCSF. So these people who tend to get poor health outcomes, I think, lose faith in the medical system, and mm-hmm. I. I think that's totally justified. And so when they see a space that centers their concerns just based off the name, I think they take some comfort in that. And that's been my experience.
3: Well, you come from a long line of medical professionals. Stevie, one thing I failed to mention to you was that Jenna grew up in Syracuse. Oh, it's real cold. Stevie went to, Syracuse I went to Syracuse for school. Oh, you, oh
1: that's fresh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, it's okay. You didn't have to know that. It's,
2: yeah. <laughs> no, I like think it's, it's, it's like ringing a bell because I think Nguyen had told me about that sometime.
1: Ah, uh, it was so cold. I could not <laughs> wait to move out to Los Angeles where it's just the opposite, opposite weather. Well, if you
3: had stayed, if you had stayed in Syracuse, you may have come across Jenna's mother, who is a doctor and the chair of the Department of Geriatrics? So, well, that would have, would I, would have, have had to stay, um, I would have had to stay for quite a long time. A lot longer, a lot longer. Uh, <laughs> and I don't think that
1: timeline would work out, actually. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but Jenna's grandmother was also a medical professional. She was one of Syracuse's first black nurse practitioners. One
2: of New York State's first black nurse practitioners. New York
3: State. Jeez.
2: Okay. Yeah. So even the more impressive. First or maybe like she we, she used to argue with one of her friends whether she was the first or her friend was the first.
3: <laughs> I love it. Impressive and yet still petty. <laughs> but you were you were practically born a doctor. Yet you were told by your pre-med advisor that you weren't going to get into medical school. Mm-hmm. And I've seen you post about this topic before, and I wanted you to talk to us a little bit about the kind of racism and gatekeeping that exists mm-hmm. not only for for patients, but for people of color who are trying to come and go into the field of dermatology mm-hmm. and what that looks like.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's medicine in general. My mom was also told the same thing by her pre-med advisor. Mm. And this recently came up because I was talking to a colleague who was also a dermatologist. And he was told by the same pre-med advisor as I was told... I wasn't gonna get in med school. That he wasn't getting into med school. He went to an excellent med school and is doing really well. And um, so it's uh, it's like why? why? So what's
1: the deal? Is this yeah. like is this like an old white dude? Like is he gonna like retire or pass away soon?
2: It's a, it's a woman um, who is a woman of color. Wow. But
3: this isn't just this one woman. This is ha- this this no. is happening across across the field of pre-med advisors.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's really a weird thing that people feel like they need to be the one to tell someone no rather than rather than thinking of like how we can open gates and like see barriers as something to be overcome. You, you erect them yourself. And I don't know why that is. I honestly don't. I would never want to be the one to tell someone you can't do something. I would want to think of all the ways that they could do the thing. And like to be clear, my, I had tons of experience. Like I had really good grades. I have no idea. I got into tons of med schools, most with scholarships. So it's weird. Yes, like, you did. it's weird. Like that that was a thing that she thought of. And it was, and I feel quite fortunate that I had my mom who literally, I think it was the second time I heard her swear where I told, I came out of this meeting and I'm crying and I call and call her and tell her this pre med advisor said I'm not going to get in. And my mom was like, said all sorts of what did she
3: say exactly I want to (laughs) know
2: I don't exactly remember but there was an f-bomb which oh which was like nails on the chalkboard when she said I still tell her like you can't swear it doesn't just doesn't work but but um but I did it anyway and I think there are a lot of people who didn't because they didn't have that support and in moments where you're feeling insecure, you remember all the people who told you no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you re- think about, like, sort of satisfying their wish that that it's not going to work out. And I had to have voices, w- one of whom was my mom's, my dad, my great aunt, like, all these people who were like, you can definitely do this. And my mom, when I graduated from intern year, which is the year right after med school, mm-hmm. she's like, you need to email that pre-med advisor and tell her what you're up to. <laughs> mm-hmm. This was right before I was moving out to San Francisco, and I found her email in my box, and along with the ones where she said, "Yeah, you're not gonna do that well," and I was like, "By the way,
1: I hope you replied." Look to at that me email,
3: now.
2: The, replied to the email saying you were
3: right. The chain.
2: I didn't have that level of petty in me in me at the time because I <laughs> was after intern year and was so exhausted. But like, I replied and it was like, you know, I'm doing all these things and you should think about that the next time you make a move to discourage someone when yes. you really have no basis of doing so that's awesome um, so that, is, that so is so freaking awesome, awesome. Yeah. did she reply it felt good she did and she it was a very like you know those like she was like i'm sorry you felt that way yeah. as though, like, that there is was the any worst kind of yeah. apology it's a non-apology
3: it's a yeah. non-apology Wow. So do you find yourself in the position, are you, like, do you mentor a lot of, a lot of med students?
2: I do. And I, um, it's one of the most rewarding things that I do. It's very, it's, you know, I'm pretty busy and have like a lot of things going on, but mentorship oh, is something I you? try to always make time business. for. <laughs> I knew you were going to get me for saying that. <laughs> um, and, um, and so, but it, it really reminds me, like, how hard people are working to do the thing that I am doing and like it helps me remember like sort of where I came from Mm -hmm. but also I am trying to encourage more people who not even have a similar path to me but who I could see really improving our field and Mm -hmm. you know a lot of it is young women of color but you know men to anyone really who emails me, I try to get back to and try to be a source of encouragement. So I, being in this position now, it makes me even more, it's more puzzling to me, like why someone would ever tell someone no. It's, it's not your job to make a decision for someone. It's your job to help them on that path and, um, you know, help them make the decision that they come to themselves.
1: I would imagine, I mean, I know we briefly talked about this, but I did think it was a really good point when you were talking about kind of the psychological aspect of dermatology. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine Mm -hmm. that some old school doctors just don't have that in their toolbox, that Mm. that it Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. very like you know, cut and dry, like, this is this big medical mm-hmm. word that I'm not going to say, and then take this for it. And there's no yeah. acknowledgement of like, okay, psychologically, this is what you might be going through. Um, mm-hmm. Is that part of kind of the new curriculum? Or is that something that's like, you know, being more talked about or recognized?
2: Yeah, 100%. And I think the larger concept you're referring to is bedside manner. And um, like empathy, like, even if you have no idea what someone is going through, if you're an empathetic person, you make space for them to tell you and you don't just, you know, hand someone a prescription and walk out the door, you try to give space for them to be a human um, in that interaction, in addition to understanding like what conditions might be affecting them. And that's not something that was always taught in medical school, mm-hmm. and I do think that there's some part of that that comes from within, and I think that's why a lot of people, there's certain people are attracted to medicine, but it's certainly something that can be taught to people, even if they don't have that as part of their like toolbox when they walk in, and that's something that there is explicit curriculum for in medical school now. And is not something that there has always been curriculum for. So, um, and I also just think our generation and generations that are coming up after us just have like higher capacity for emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And that is a really important part of this too it's an intersection of a lot of things. And I, I, if I were to ever open my own practice, I think I would want like a therapist and a psychiatrist in my yes. office oh. too. Oh
1: yes. Also, can I suggest, uh, and I did, I, I suggest this for Dr. Nas, um, I, I think lighting is very important uh, for for the doctor's office. So, yeah, Jenna, can you work on that? I understand <laughs> you need some you need some bright lighting when you're looking at certain things. But if you were to open your own practice, I a soft a soft warm yes. lighting mm-hmm. situation. Um, and I yeah. I need to follow up with Doctor Nas because. I did offer to send some kind of lighting gels for her office. She she was um, marginally offended I, when I ooh,
2: I don't I hate fluorescent lighting. That's like a well, migraine let's make a change
1: here. Let's make a change. I think <laughs> yes. it's doctor wide. We need to make a change.
2: Yes. I sometimes use my cell phone flashlight. Is that bad? I think that might be. I think that's probably. You use your light. cell
1: phone flashlight like with a patient? <laughs>
2: it depends. It depends on what's because I don't have a. <laughs> I don't have a flashlight that I, like, keep in my pocket. The battery died, like, several years ago. Oh, you know what you should
3: get? A headlamp.
2: You should get a
3: headlamp.
2: I have colleagues who use a headlamp. I think a headlamp is cool. My head doesn't fit into anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's so large. So I don't think they make a headlamp this size. As my, My mom frequently comments... Still about my head.
1: Everyone listening is like, holy shit, how big is her head? (laughs) Yeah, Jenna. She does not have
3: a big head, everyone. (laughs) She does does not have a big head.
2: It feels feels kind of
3: large. I mean, it's a little bit big. It's a little bit big. Okay,
2: gosh.
3: (laughs) As a fellow big head person, I'm a size large in all hats. I'm a 5'2 girl with a size large hat, okay? So I understand. (laughs) Anyway. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for canceling a bunch of patient appointments to come onto this show. (laughs)
2: Trying to get me fired. That's
3: not what happened. Yeah, this is not happening during work hours.
1: It was great having you on the show. Thank you so much for
3: joining us. And we'll get those lighting gels over to you ASAP, okay? (laughs) Okay.
1: Thank
3: you. That was so fun. That was great. I just feel like I just feel like I always learn so much whenever I talk to
1: to Jenna. I genuinely, I do find myself like getting sucked up into these TikTok like this is what makes me have good skin videos. So yeah. like going back to the basics cuz that's what I I had heard was that like the only proven thing for like wrinkle prevention or like, you know, making your wrinkles less wrinkly is retinol. Um mm-hmm. but like everything else like reinforced I think what the medical community says versus <laughs> like there's this fucking the girl community. man there's this girl mm-hmm. who like her like pre-bed routine is it winds up making her look like she has like a forehead patch the eye patches oh this right yeah I've seen patch those thing a mouth a guard thing a, a like mm-hmm. thing that a like <laughs> a thing that like holds her lips together so because like you're not supposed to like Breathe out of your mouth oh at nighttime God. for wrinkles, yeah. like all this shit. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you look good, but I'm also like, but you're 23. So did you see the
3: one where you also have to like stuff your nostrils just so they don't sag? Oh God, just I of, haven't even
1: started worrying I just, about sagging nostrils. <laughs> I
3: just made it up. It's not a thing. It would kill you if you closed your mouth and stuffed your well, nose. Well, <laughs> if you did
1: both, you could alternate every other night. Um. Okay. Awkward moment of the week. I was. Out for a friend's birthday for lunch. Ooh, I love a good lunch party. Yes, everyone loves lunch. Uh, it was uh, it was on the beach, and not on the beach, it was in Santa Monica, and uh, it was a nice restaurant. And um, me and, and a friend, or I, I would I should say like a friend of the birthday girl that I also know and an I acquaintance went to okay. the went to the bathroom together. And I'm wearing like, first of all, I mean we haven't we haven't talked about like fashion in a hot minute, but I am lost. I am very lost. I don't know <laughs> if it's that I don't have the will to try and like put an outfit together
3: mm-hmm. um,
1: But I'm going like really with the the basics lately, but I'm wearing you know a high-waisted pair of Levi's and a tank top. And, okay. and and actually my high heel boots. It was a high heel boots lunch because I just, okay. you know, I wanted to show yeah. out. By Santa the way, Monica only have one pair of high heel boots, but okay. <laughs> and so I went to the bathroom with uh this girl. The girl happens to be a straight girl. And in the bathroom, we're leaving. I mean, we peed. If you want to know what we did in the bathroom, like one of us okay. wasn't, you know, taking a shit. Mm-hmm. We encountered a woman in like the wash your hands counter. Area. Okay. And um, she's wearing a black like spaghetti strap cropped number, uh, mm-hmm. with some black jeans and then like st- like stilettos that have like um you know fake diamonds all over them. Yeah. And she's like, Oh my god! Can I stop you for a second? And I'm like, This is to you. Yeah. I'm like, There's no okay. way to help that she is a fan or knows who I am in any way just by what's happening and she's like I thought I didn't know this restaurant was at the beach and I just I should have worn a dress and I just don't know what you think about my outfit and I'm like bitch I am gay like Do you not under? Do you not see on me that I'm? Are you? Are are, did you want a gay woman opinion to the situation that's happening? Why not? I don't. What does that have to do with it? Because it is. It's so awkward to me to have that type Uh. of interaction with a woman. I just like Logan's nodding. Logan Logan understands how weird that is.
3: Because is it because it's like a? You don't want to.
1: I just think it's so. It's a little. Truthfully, I think it's a little artificial. And I and I, it's a total straight girl thing. The like whole like, oh, there's a stranger in the bathroom and I'm going to talk to them about like, you know, my outfit or whatever is going on. I'm like, I'm here to do one thing. And anyway, mm-hmm. so my friend that I'm with goes into the straight girl thing like because I'm like deer in headlights at this this point. And she's did like, did you have
3: an opinion?
1: I mean, not for her. Like if that's her vibe, I wasn't thinking, yeah, you should have worn a dress. Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, you know, whatever, live your life. I wasn't, you know, like, I'm not going to judge what she's wearing. Um, And of course my friend is like, girl, you look great. You are rocking it. Yes. I'm like, okay, thank God. Just do it. Yeah. And um, she, and, and then my friend's like, Do you feel good? And the girl goes, no, (laughs) I don't. (laughs) And then the friend that I'm with, because she's wearing these, you know, black pants and it's like not, it's kind of sunny and hot outside. And she's like, my friend's like, well, I have a knife if you want to cut those pants into shorts. (laughs) And I'm like, you have a knife?
3: (laughs) She takes her switchblade out.
1: She freaking <laughs> takes a knife out.
3: She does? Yes. She really has one. Yes, she really it's has one. Like the, Granted, it's not she's the table like the like a
1: No, she's like um, she's a bartender and she like has like a oh, knife that she yeah. uses to like open things or whatever. And she was like talking to me about the utility of it. But I was like, please never whip out a knife like in a restroom with someone ever again. But of course, this other straight girl was like, girl. Yeah, let's cut my pants into shorts, and I'm like, oh my god, this this entire wow. entire interaction is freaking wow. me out. Um, and I didn't really say Did they cut anything. No, no, no. She she put the knife okay. away. Um, she was also <laughs> at least two drinks ahead of me when she whipped sure. out the knife. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing, the additional funny thing was, is I like went to exit the restroom but someone was coming in on the other side and there was like a struggle with the handle situation. <laughs> and uh, yes. my friend that I was with goes, go, 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 go. And I'm like, we're five feet away. From the girl. <laughs> she can hear you. She can hear you She's saying like, I go, go, go. I'm not prepared to answer
3: any more questions I'm like, this about has this is
1: Yeah. This has been the worst bathroom experience to be approached wow. with the outfit question Mm-hmm. To have this knife whipping out and then the the no, no, no on the way out. Yeah, well, I don't know. It seems like it wow. wouldn't have been an, you you were practiced in the in the straight girl arts, including putting body
3: lotion on. So it's so interesting. i I I'm learning a lot, I will say, because i I didn't think about like the straight or lesbian approach to giving an opinion about an outfit,
1: yeah. I think it's, Do you think it's confirmed, it's a, right, Logan? Yeah, If yeah. you and I agree, then everyone agrees. Then everyone agrees. <laughs> yes. It's awkward. I just, it is awkward. But it was, in the end, we got out. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Why? Would you be honest with someone? Like, I don't. Oh, no. It's oh, totally no. not about.
3: <laughs> no, girl. When somebody asks, when somebody's in a public place, they are not close to their own closet and they ask how yes! they look. Yes. You have to find something good right? to the say. The right? only thing to yeah. say
1: is you It's like, what's good. possible?
3: Yeah. What I love, what I love is that this acquaintance of yours.
1: <laughs> Whipped up a knife. <laughs>
3: solution oriented yes I love a solution oriented woman because she was like I can't give a compliment so I'm just gonna help her fix it oh my
1: god I'm just glad that the (laughs) other woman wasn't as deep into her drinks as my friend was because then we would have been in the bathroom with a stranger with her pants off cutting her pants into
3: shorts
1: (laughs) and I was not prepared for that I mean it would make a better story for this podcast though
3: totally totally Thanks for listening to Best Friends Back All Right. You can catch brand new episodes every Friday. Make sure to follow so you don't miss an episode.
1: If you're enjoying the podcast, leave us a review. You can follow at Mythical Pods on TikTok for clips to share with family and friends. You can follow Nagin at Nagin and me everywhere at Stevie W. Levine. And of course, you can hear me every Monday through Friday on Good Mythical Morning with Brett and Link at YouTube.com slash Good Mythical Morning. I'll see you there. Adios.